All right. Well, it's great to see you guys. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Last week, uh, we were in Romans eight twenty eight. spent, spent a, uh, all of our time answering the question, how does God use suffering for our good? So I went over three different ways, and so how God can use that suffering, and and, and how he does, and how we've seen him use that. And uh, today we're going to look back at 28, go to 29 and and 30, and and really dive into this. Now, this is the first time uh, you've been with us at Foothills. Great opportunity for you to be here. We've been actually working our way through the entire letter of Romans. Now, Romans was written by a guy named Paul to the church in Rome. And so when we look at this, we look at it through what Paul was trying to teach that church at that time. And uh, in Romans 8.28, we saw it started with, and we know. He says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And so the first thing we really kind of, we dug into is that we can know this. That our faith in Christ is not some guessing work religion. Like we wake up and we think, well, did God, does God still love me today? Am I still saved today? Is God going to you know, still you know, want, want me to be a part of his family today? It's not a guessing game when we think about our relationship with the Lord. It says that here and it says it elsewhere in the Bible. That these are truths that we can know we know them, that, that this is what God is doing and how he works and we can have our trust and our faith and confidence in who he is. It says that all things work together for good. And we saw that God doesn't cause evil to happen. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, make somebody sin. That's not in God's nature. He, he doesn't do that. So we, we look at it and we realize that all of us have had some bad things happen to us And sometimes we're tempted to think that God caused that. The scripture is clear that God doesn't cause evil. He doesn't cause people to sin. What he does do is despite the evil that people may do to us, to harm us, the Bible says that those things that they mean for evil, that God in his sovereignty miraculously can take that and use it somehow for our good and for his glory. And that's the truth that we see in the scripture. We see in the life of Joseph and the life of Jonah and the life of Paul, Jesus. All throughout the Bible, we see God taking these horrible sufferings, these horrible events that look, why in the world has this taken place? And then God uses it somehow for our good and for his glory. An amazing truth that we can settle on. And then it says that all these things happen according to his purpose. So in other words, I'm not the director, you're not the director. God is the director. He's the one in charge. And so life happens according to his purpose, which means the evil that takes place in our life, the suffering and pain happens and he uses it according to his purpose. And so when when we see the scripture, when we see our life, we have to constantly remind ourselves that this story is not about me. It's not about you. This story that God tells in his word is a story about himself and, it, and, and, and life and these events happen according to his purpose. And he says that this promise is for those who love God. Romans 5, 5 says that, that God has given us a love for God through the Holy Spirit. And so, so this love for God is really the first really test or the first way that we know that we have accepted Christ because there is a love for God within us. 
And then it says this promise is not only for those who love God, but also those who are called according to his purpose. So how do you know if you're a part of the called? You know, am I a part of the called? I don't know. Maybe I'm today. Maybe I'm not. How do we know? And, and the way that we know if we are called is have you accepted Christ into your life? If the answer is yes, then you know you're part of the call that he speaks of. If you're here today and you've not received Christ into your life, guess what? At the end of this service, you'll have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, then you know you are part of the call. And this promise is in fact for you as well as for me. In the following sentences, he really begins to outline what this uh, purpose or, or calling is and how it plays out and why it's important for us. Um, the main thing that we see here is, is, is that, first of all, we can, we can kind of switch gears from last week saying, here's how God uses suffering. And this week, really the question is, how can we have confidence or how can we know that this stuff is true? And the way that we know this is true for us is that, first of all, God foreknew us God predestined us, and God conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, when you throw those words out in church, depending upon your background, you might be tempted to say, oh man, this is not the right Sunday for us, or, or I've got real problems, Pastor. I came in here. I wanted real help. This isn't really going to get it for me. I don't really understand all this. Why is this important? And listen, the reason why it's important is because until we have a proper understanding, a biblical understanding of who Jesus is in light of God's word, then we're never going to overcome sin in our life. You're never going to overcome the issues and the problems in your life if you don't see Jesus for who he is, if you don't understand God for who he is. And so part of our issue today is praying that God would help us understand uh, a lot of these truths and a lot of these things that we cover. But God is definitely in control. I believe that everybody that's here today is not here by accident. I believe that God brought you here sovereignly to hear this, to be a part of this. And that as we move through this information and through this text, my prayer has been that God would use us to deepen our faith and to love him in a deeper way. So let's take a look and, and read through these verses again. Verse 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I'll say this. As we dive into some of these words and what this means, um, it naturally raises questions. And that's part of what's great about gathering on a Sunday morning is to hear God's word, to be challenged, to ask more questions, to read further, to study more, to get a hunger for God. And, and so chapter 9, what's awesome is that Paul actually begins to, to ask all these questions that we begin to ask. And he gives the answer for them. So 
if you're going to miss, don't miss the next few weeks because as we, you know, dedicate that, the sanctuary, as we, as we celebrate what God is doing and as we celebrate the truths of the next few passages of Scripture, God answers some big questions that many of us have wrestled with and I know that many of your coworkers wrestle with. So this is going to be a huge, huge benefit to all of us. So the first thing I want to say, if you're taking notes, is that God has known you. The Bible says that he foreknew you. So what does that foreknowledge mean? Um, A lot of people have different opinions about this. And so you've probably heard this understanding of foreknowledge that that God foreknows. In other words, he, he looks down the tunnel of time into the future. And he foreknows or he, he sees the decision that Trent is going to make. And Trent is going to say yes to Jesus. And so when he sees that I'm going to say yes to Jesus, then he predestines me or you know, he knows that, okay, I'm going to save Trent because he's going to say yes. Now that's kind of a common belief uh, when it comes to these words and what we're talking about today. But but that is an inappropriate explanation. It's not a biblical explanation for at least three reasons. And the first reason is that if God is looking down the tunnel of time and future to see what I'm going to decide, and if God is basing his decisions based upon my response, then that is a works-based salvation. Get that? That if he's looking at, okay, how's Trent? Is Trent going to say yes? Is Trent going to say no? Okay, Trent's going to say yes. Okay, I'm going to predestine him. He's in. We're going to save him. Let's go to the next person. Let's see if they're going to respond. Okay, they're not, so we're not going to there. Let's go to this person. And that just is not taught in the scripture because the, the exact opposite is taught, that salvation is a gift from God. It is given to us as, as, as a gift from him. It is not our work that accomplishes salvation. I can't do enough to get salvation. I can't earn it. I can't live a good life. A lot of people think if I just live a good life, then I'm going to go to heaven. And that's just not taught in the Bible. And so we've got to be very careful with how we think through this. Now, the second way, and we're going to talk about what it is in just a second, but the second reason why that's not an appropriate understanding is because it takes the word foreknowledge and makes it mean something that it actually doesn't mean. I mean, and and if we were honest, our culture does this a lot. (laughs) You know, we take words that mean something and then we start using them in ways that are different. And then after time, it's like, boom, now everybody knows that word has two meanings. Let me give you an example. Um, Let's just use the word cool. Okay. 20 years ago, ago, cool meant um, cool to the touch, you know, temperature cool. But now it means cool cool, you know, you're like hip now, whatever. So you're cool. Are you cool, cool, like you need a jacket cool, or are you cool like Fonzie cool, you know, that kind of cool. So we've got to kind of tell, we don't really know. And now the other thing that's happened, really, I guess the last 10 years, five to 10 years, is the word hot. So now it's like, you know, hot doesn't just mean hot temperature. Hot means like you're good looking. So now like when I wake up in the morning, my wife looks at me and she's like, Trent, you're hot. It's like, I'm so tired of her saying that, you know? I'm just kidding. It's not happening. It's not happening. But you get the idea, right? You got, you, we have words like booyah. Where, where does that word come from and what exactly does it mean? We just come up with words, you know, and we make them, we make them mean certain things. We have words like man cave. 
Like that's part of all of our vocabulary. You would have said man cave 25 years ago, they would have thought you were talking about like Neanderthal. You talk about evolution. You believe in evolution, you man cave, you know, guy. It's like now it's just part of, we just give it a name and we, we know. Um, has anybody ever told you to, to, to shut up? Like while you're talking? I remember the first time this happened to me, this young girl was telling the story and it was like this story and I'm going on and she was like, oh, shut up. And I was like, what did I just offend her? What? I don't know what's going on. Evidently, shut up doesn't mean what it used to mean. Like growing up, I was not allowed to say that. And, you know, my kids aren't allowed to say it now either. But it's like, if you say it in that sense, it's like okay now for some people because it doesn't mean what it used to mean. Now it means, I can't believe what you're saying. You know, it's like, we got to keep up with the lingo. I need like another English class every year to keep up with this. The one that really gets me is, is just saying. You know, have you heard that one? Just saying. So like, now here's the deal, guys, if your wife were to say, you know, does this dress make me look fat? Here's all you can, here's what you can say. Now, evidently, this is what the kids are telling me. You can potentially say, yes, just saying, and it's okay. It's okay. As long as you add on just saying, anything is possible. Anything goes. It's like, you know, can we do this? I'm just saying, and that's okay. Because that just means, you know what? You know, I'm just saying, don't, yeah, it means simply I'm, don't be offended. I'm not doing this to be mean to you. I'm just saying. You see how we do that in our culture? We take words, we spin them. Pop culture just says now they mean something else. You know, a lot of times that happens in the Bible over years. I mean, the questions about predestination and foreknowledge, I mean, come on, forget about it. We've been talking about this for centuries, you know? And it's like, We're not going to answer all your questions today in this sermon, but what I can answer is that foreknowledge has a definition, and it's not that God looks into the future, sees what I'm going to decide, and then base a decision upon my decision. That is not what it means. And so we can't be guilty of saying things say something that they actually do not say. In fact, the same word is used in 1 Peter 1.20. Let's take a look at that. It says, He, talking about Jesus, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Now the word foreknown here does not mean that God, you know, in some way simply knew what Jesus was going to decide to do. And then because he knew Jesus was going to do that, now all of a sudden he used him to die on the cross for mankind's sin. No, that is not what it meant. It was a deeper meaning. That God foreknew Jesus meant that he knew him before the foundations of the world. And that he had a love and a care and a purpose for Jesus. God sent Jesus for that purpose. To suffer and to die. So we can't make words mean something that they don't. Finally, the other reason why that's an inappropriate understanding is because it doesn't take into account what the word predestinate actually means or predestined what that actually means to predestine something that you already know is going to happen makes no sense at all there's no purpose in that at all so so it would be like me telling uh where's James at I don't know where James went oh he's back there not not James the other James (laughs) it's like it'd be like telling James the worship pastor you know it's like telling him to jump and then like telling him you know in the air that command him that he has to come down it's like well obviously he's going to come down right you don't command something you know that is already going to happen now granted I know James is is 
you know, over the hill now. He's getting older. He can't jump like he used to. I mean, I'm telling you. Plus, he loves Krispy Kreme donuts, so he's putting on a few, okay? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right? Okay? But to tell him to come down from his jump, this makes no sense, okay? So we've got to understand both words in light of each other. So here's what we know by looking at Scripture. Our salvation is not initiated by a person's decision to say yes to Jesus. That is not the first thing that happens, okay? When we look at the Bible, we see that Scripture is clear. Repentance and faith are required for salvation. And at the same time, the first step that we take is in response to something that has already happened. And that already happened part is God saying, Trent, here is Jesus, follow him. Jesus says in John chapter 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we understand that foreknowledge then means that God knew us before the foundation of the world, that he has a special plan set forth for us. God foreknowing his people gives us the sense that he cares for us. He loves us. He has chosen us. And listen, of course he knows what's going to happen in the future. Of course he knows what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. But he doesn't base his decisions on his purpose based on what I'm going to do or what you're going to do. In fact, the Bible says the, the exact opposite as far as our faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Most of you are familiar with this. It says that we are saved by grace and this is not from yourself. It is, it is not a work unto yourself. It is, it is from God. And so we realize that this salvation that we are able to experience as children of God is the grace of God. Now, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited, which means you don't earn it. You don't, you don't get good enough for it, okay? In our relationships with one another, what do we do? We grow up as kids just dying for approval from our dads, for our moms, we, we, we want to earn their love. And so one day we feel like when we got good grades, we felt like, you know, they loved us because they gave us stuff and they were happy. And then I, I messed up at school. I did something wrong. And now I don't feel loved by them anymore. Some of you, your dads ran out on you. Your parents divorced. So you never got that approval. You never got that acceptance. And so your whole life is kind of like this search for somebody love me. Somebody, somebody accept me or, and choose me. And so that's why we love, you know, love stories and, and movies and books that talk about these folks that never get chosen or never get picked or never, you know, measure up that have all these mistakes. And it's like, yes, we identify with that. And he's like, listen, listen, God foreknew you, which means he loves you and cares for you. Here are the implications that we celebrate. You matter to God. You matter to God. Your life is important to him. How you live your life is important to him. And so there is value in that. And so when we know Christ and, and we begin to uh, understand who we are in him, then we find our value through his eyes and not the value of how other people see us. We value ourselves because we know that we are valuable in his sight. He knows you. He cares for you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. It means that there are no insignificant people of God in this room. 
We all matter to him. He has foreknown us. He has known us. Secondly, God has chosen you. So when he says that he has foreknown us, and then it says that he predestined us to be conformed. He also predestined us. What does that mean? Well, the actual word predestined in the Greek language means to mark off beforehand. So the idea is to mark off beforehand. It's used uh, six times in the New Testament. Uh, To predestine means to decide or ordain ahead of time the purpose that God has for you. So this idea that it, he's, he's, he's preordained and he has decided and ordained your purpose beforehand. That's important. All things, he says, work together for your good because you were chosen and loved before the foundation of the world, before anything existed. And the way his choice and love expresses itself is in this unspeakable, amazing, great future. God's purpose in predestination is to bless you. God's purpose in predestination cannot be thwarted. It cannot be, you know, uh, not done. It, It cannot be overcome. His plan, his purpose will take place. Now, 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says, now we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden. Okay, So let's just realize that the truth that we're talking about today is some deeper stuff. And so some of you are checking in, some of you are checking out, okay? But here's the deal. The the, the Bible actually says we get it. It takes time to pray through, to learn, to grow, to mature through. This is not something we get overnight. This is something God does in us. And at the same time, it's very important that we do get it because it deepens our love for him. But but he's, he's, he's clear with us. Hey, look, God's wisdom... It's a mystery, man. You can get it, but you're never going to fathom God's ways completely. Our little peanut brains are never going to wrap their arms around God's complete wisdom and purpose. If we could, then we would be God. So obviously we're never going to do that. And yet there is revealed truth that we can get here. And here's what he continues to say. It's been hidden in that God destined, it's the same word, predestined for our glory before time began. Okay, before time began. Wait, 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 wait. Before it began, before the whole deal got spun into motion, God knew you. God chose you. So, Ephesians 1, 4 and 6, let's read that. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Again, whoa, way before the thing got spun into creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Listen to this. In love, this is love. This is why we, this is why we want to know this, this stuff and understand it. Because in love, we see God's love here. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So here's where we're at. We affirm, and we've got to affirm this, that, that God is in control Before the foundation of the world, he is choosing, he he is predestining. But here's the deal. At the same time, we know that he does it in such a way that he upholds our ability to make responsible, real decisions. So we're not some robot, like, you know, doing everything that God tells us to do. 
We have this ability to make decisions. He's not the puppet master making us do every little thing exactly. No, he has given us this ability to make real decisions that have real consequences. And we are held responsible for those decisions. And the scripture affirms both. And we must affirm both. Again, kind of a mystery. Don't know if I can wrap my mind around everything that that entails. But I know the Bible calls it to be. When he says the called, he says those who are called um, are justified. And those who are justified, he says, you know, are glorified. So again, we have confidence in this. That if you're called, in other words, if you've accepted Christ into your life, we know that God has justified you. In other words, he has made you in the court of law innocent. Even though you're guilty, you're innocent before God. You're justified and he is going to glorify you one day with a new body in the new heavens. So he's making us like him. And so we have confidence. This is going to happen. He doesn't like call us, justify us, unjustify us, and then potentially maybe justify you again. So we have confidence that once we are justified, it is done. It is, a, it is a completed deal. What God sets out according to his purpose will take place here. But how can, we, how can he say all who are called believed? Well, think of it like this. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was dead for a few days in the grave. Jesus came Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. Everybody probably memorized that one. You always got that one in your back pocket. Jesus wept, right? And he said, Lazarus, come forth, come out. What did Lazarus do? He came out. Because when, when Jesus called him to come out, he came. So what is this? This calling is God's effective call of, of, of calling the dead man to life. Remember that salvation is not something I do on my own. God enables me, God empowers me, and I, and I do it. God allows me to make the decision. And our decisions are real decisions. Our, our decisions have consequences. And we affirm that God chooses, and at the same time, we're held responsible for those decisions. And our finite minds may not be able to comprehend that, but that's what God's Word teaches us, and we see it all throughout Scripture. So does that mean that, that God damns people to hell? He's, he's telling, you know, if he's telling me that I'm going, he must be telling other people that they're not going. And so that's a question we get. Nine, chapter 9 is going to cover that in depth. Can't wait to get there. Uh, but kind of a short version to kind of wrestle with that and help, help us with that is what 2 Peter 3, 9 to 10 says. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the idea here and elsewhere in Scripture is that God does not send people to hell. God, God wants everybody to repent and turn of sin. But it's, but it's sinful man that rejects Jesus. It's us that, that would reject him and not follow him. And so he's not sending this person to, to hell. They are choosing, in effect, to go there because the gift and offer of salvation is given to all. But those who reject are punished in hell for eternity. So is God just or is God unjust for allowing those people to go to hell? I mean, it doesn't seem fair, right? I mean, God, you're a loving God. 
it's, it's kind of unjust for you, God, to let these people go there. Shouldn't you love them? And, 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 and shouldn't that not happen? And, and we've got to remember who we are. And who we are before Christ, we are sinners. God cannot allow sin into heaven. Not only that, let's take it a little bit further. Remember, Romans 1, 2, and 3, we talked about all this sin. Remember, we were talking so much about sin, and we were like, man, can we be encouraged here? We're talking about all the sin in our life. God says that we're enemies of God before Christ. The Bible says in Romans 5.10, for if we were, for we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He says that we're enemies of God. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, you are like your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. <laughs> Just like before Christ, we were following our desires. We were following our father, the devil. We were enemies of God in our sin. We were rebels. We were rebellion, re- rebelling against our creator and his love for us. Now, if you didn't know, Maryville High School is um, in the state tournament this week. So I'm going. So I'm going to be cheering for the rebels, okay? On, on Wednesday, they play. I'm going. It's in Murfreesboro. Uh, love the fact that they're winning. Love, love the team, the coach. Have a relationship with them. And every time I'm, I'm yelling, go Rebels! You know, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, you know what? The truth is, I am a rebel who rebelled against God as his creation. And I chose sin, and I chose my way over his way. But the grace of God is that I didn't earn it, but God showed his love to me and I received him into my life. And now I'm not a a rebel, now I'm a follower. Even though my heart is still kind of turning from him and and I'm always gonna fight with that sin, he saved me. And I trust that the the moment I accepted Christ to to my last breath, that it's not me that's gonna hold this salvation thing up and when I get tired, I'm gonna drop it or it's it's on me to act a certain way and talk a certain way to keep it up. No, it's God who's holding that up over me. It's his grace. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. And from my first breath of asking and receiving Jesus to my last breath, it has been him. It will always be him and it will forever be sustained by him. And the same is true for all of us. Now, is God unjust for these people that don't accept him to go to hell? Some would say, yes, no, that's not fair, you know? But here's the deal. They are rebels. They reject Jesus. Think of it like this. Let's just say that your neighbors um, decide to have a party and they invite, let's just say, 30 people over to their house. And the purpose of this party is they are going to commit a mass suicide. That's why they're all coming. And so in order to accomplish this mass suicide, they light the house on fire. And so the the house begins to burn in flames. You're taking your trash out and you see the house is on fire. So you decide in, in that moment that you are going to rush in and begin to help save these people from this fire. And what you find when you run into the house, when you pick one of those individuals up on your shoulder and begin to run out of that house, you find a kicking and screaming individual that says, no, no, no. You pick them up despite them fighting and you run out of that inflamed building and you lay them in the safety of the grass of the front yard and you turn around and you run back in and you're going to get another one. 
And you get another person and you run them out, same thing, they're kicking and screaming, they don't want to come with you and you bring them out and you save them and you do that until you yourself die of smoke inhalation. Now, what would the community in the world think of you? Well, they would think that you are a hero. We will make statues of you. We will celebrate you. We might have a day to honor your feats and and what you accomplished that day because you were amazing. Nobody would say, hey, you didn't get everybody out of the building. That's not fair. In the same way, when we sinned, we lit the house on fire. And we were enemies of God. We were selfish and prideful and we didn't want God. We wanted our way. And it was Jesus Christ who came and rescued us out of that burning house. Despite I never went to seek him, despite I never wanted him, despite I never, nothing inside of me ever said, you know what, I think I need Jesus. No, it was Jesus himself that rescued me from myself. And the fact that God saves any of us is a demonstration of his amazing, amazing Grace, Folks, if you know Jesus today, he chose you and you need to be excited about that and praise God that he did so. How amazing that he chose you even before the foundation of the world. Believing is something I do. Yes, it's something you do. But my doing it is a gift from God. I don't take credit for it. I thank God for it. I'm saved by his sovereign grace from the first moment of my salvation to the last breath that I take. God has known you and God has chosen you. Now listen, some of us grow up and it's like, that's kind of going back to the parent thing. It's like, you know, we want to be chosen. We get on the, you know, the sports field and sometimes we're the last person to be chosen. It's like nobody wants to be the last guy chosen. And, and, and some of us don't get chosen at all, you know. Girls spend their time, you know, trying to find the right guy. Can, can the right guy choose me? And, and, and guys, can, can the right girl choose me? And I'm going to try and I'm going to try. And, and, and so we're all in this, this mentality. We, we, we have this innate desire to be chosen and to be loved. And God says, through Jesus, when you accept me, hey, you know, you have been chosen because I know you. I've got a purpose for you and I love you. The last thing I'll say this morning is that not only has God known us, not only does God choose us, but God has loved you. God has loved you. So what do, what do I mean by that? Look again at verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. And what's the purpose of this foreknowledge and this predestination? What is that? And the purpose is to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. So in other words, this is the most loving thing God could ever do for you. It's the most loving thing that God could ever do for me. That God would conform me to the image of Jesus. Because the more I'm like Jesus, the more I overcome sin. And the more I overcome sin in my life, the happier I am, the the more blessed I am, the more healthy my relationships are. The more I begin to walk into that life that Jesus called life to the fullest. I mean, isn't that the greatest thing that we could imagine? To be like Jesus when we begin to become like him 
and we grow in him. Now we're experiencing a, a deeper love for God. We're experiencing a more passionate life. We're, we're able to understand him in a deeper way and, and life around us and wisdom. And it's like, yeah, that is love. God, make me like Jesus. Because the more I'm like Jesus, I know the more I overcome my sin and my problems, the more I overcome uh, my shame and the guilt that is in my life, I want to be like him. See, that's the benefit. That's the amazing point of life. He says, I'm choosing you. I'm predestining you because I want you to be conformed to Jesus. And he says, why? Well, at least that's what I say. Why do you want us to be like Jesus, God? Why do you want us to be conformed? The next part. In order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, we think, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> well, in the, how many are firstborn sons? Let me see your hands. Hold them up high. Be proud, firstborn sons. You guys, do a little fist bump right there. You know, that means you're the firstborn. Okay, good. Now, in the Jewish culture, the firstborn son, he was the superior guy in the family. When dad, you know, died, oldest son took over. Now, I'm the youngest, so I'm glad that is no longer the case. Amen? Um, and so the, the oldest son, though, he took over the deal. He got the largest inheritance. He, he ran the show. He was in charge of the family, okay? So when the Bible says that Jesus is to be the firstborn among many brothers, what he is saying is put Jesus in his rightful place, which is superior above all else. He's in control. He's in charge. And our life is to be dedicated and humbled and submitted to the one superior, famous one, Jesus. Which means that everything that I do and everything that I say should be humbled under his authority, putting him first, more so than my hobbies, more so than my work, more so than my family, more so than the money that I want to make in this world. I submit myself and make him superior. I put the spotlight on him, not me. So we ask ourselves, is Jesus superior in your life? Have you put him on the throne of your life? Is he superior? You see, sometimes we say, you know what? I want to be like Jesus. I want to be holier. Now, why do we want to be holier if that's your prayer? Do you want to be holy so, so people will think, oh, he's so holy. You just see how he dresses and he's just so holy. Listen to him talk. He's just holy. You know, is that our motivation? Or is our motivation, God, I want to be holy so that when I come to the throne and worship you, I'm the dude in tears, hands raised, on my knees because I know you and I worship you and I'm loud and I'm, I'm proud of who you are, Jesus, and my life and my family is, is, is wrapped around who you are because you are superior in my life. Why do you want to be somebody that loves others? You know, Jesus calls us to love other people. You know, God, I, I want to love other people. Why? Because people will look at you and say, he's so loving. She is so loving. Or do we say, make me loving so that I can be conformed to you, Jesus, so that I can be more like you, Jesus, which means I'm going to love you more. I'm going to worship you more. I'm going to get it more. I'm going to be able to wrap my mind around this world more, which means I'm going to be blessed more, which means I'm going to begin to live life to the fullest. I'm going to overcome my sin, my guilt, my shame. You're going to walk me through that, Jesus, when I make you superior 
Anytime we try to make ourselves superior, we run into a lot, a lot of issues. And some of the problems that you brought into this room, maybe financially, is because you've tried to make yourself superior. I'm in control. God's not in control of my resources. I am. I say what we get when we get it. I don't care how much debt I rack up to get it. I'm in control here. Jesus says, make me the firstborn among many brothers. Submit yourself to me. Some of your marriages are are in turmoil right now because one of you are not making Jesus superior. You're making yourself superior. Or maybe you're making work superior over the relationship. I don't know what it is. The point of life, we might say, not just of the sermon, not just of this passage. The point of life is that you and I would not just be chosen and loved by God to say, woohoo, we're in the club, man, way to go. It's to make Jesus first. He is better than anything in this world. I want to ask the band to come up, and as they do, I want to want to remind you of why this is important. Because our first and foremost, our confidence is in God for our salvation. Stop doubting. Stop, stop doubting his purpose and plan in your life. Our confidence rests in him so that we know these things to be true. This should change everything in our life. It should cause us to respond in worship. It should cause us to respond to him with surrender, with submission. That yeah, yeah, you know what? He chose and loved me. He's cared for me. He's got a plan, purpose for me. Not so I could be inward focused and selfish. It's so that I would make him superior and other people would see that I'm making him superior and then therefore they would make him superior. So this is not a join the club. This is, hey, get your hands dirty, join and serve him because he is superior and we're gonna win this community for Jesus together because that's what he's called us to do. And we'll be able to willingly do that when we together in unity make him superior. Would you bow with me, pray as we conclude this morning. Some of you today are here and maybe you've never made Christ superior in your life. Maybe today is that first chance, that first response that God has been speaking to you. I believe that you're here for a reason and a purpose. And it might just be for, for that exact phrase, that exact challenge that you would make him superior in your life. Have you done that? We're going to have counselors that are going to be in the back of the room. We're going to respond today in worship. And as we sing and as we respond, if you know that you need Christ in your life, I want to encourage you to take a walk to the back of the room. You'll see our counselor there. He'll be wearing a badge. Just tell him I need Jesus. Maybe for you it's some sin in your life you need to repent of. Maybe for you it's just once and for, for all just being freed in worship to sing loud, raise your hands, just focus on him, make him superior. Stop caring what's going on around you. The Bible is clear. You matter. You're important to him. God loves you, chose you. The call is given to all of us to respond to him, respond to the gospel. The gift is free. Lord Jesus, in this room, I pray that you would indeed 
grow us and challenge us. I pray, Lord, that you would take those who are far from you and restore that relationship. I pray for those who've never received you. Lord, I pray that you would save them, that you would reach to them today. Lord, for all of us in this room, in every area of our life, we pray that you would allow us and help us to make you superior. The first, the firstborn, the first priority in every area of our life. Lord, you are in control. We know that this world and life is caused by you, sustained by you, it's for you. We thank you for taking all of the things that happen to us in life and using them for our good and for your glory. May this year, may this day reflect that truth as we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.